Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. My name is Ian Cheeseman, I'm your host, and today I have three great guests to look back on the Liverpool game and talk all things Manchester City. I'll introduce those guests in just a second, but first of all, I just want to say a big thank you to Howard Solicitors, who are based in Ashton Stockport. They specialise in personal injury claims on a no-win, no-fee basis. Uh, they also specialise in family law, so if you're going through a separation or you're having problems with access to your children, or the social services, then give them a call 0161 872 or email law at howardsolicitors.com. Tell them that you heard about them through me on uh, the Forever Blue podcast, and I'm sure they'll be even more receptive to trying to help you in whatever it is that you need to deal with, even if it's not none of the things I've just mentioned there. Uh, so I've got three guests today and we have two former City players, which is a great honour. I've been trying to uh, pin down Michel Vonk for quite a while. Um, not easy because he was a big, solid defender and you don't pin him down very easily. Um, <laughs> but he's with us tonight. Um, and so Michel is one. We've got Nicholas Jensen, who I uh, thought the world of when he was at Manchester City. And it's such a nice guy. And I saw him recently when he came over for the Copenhagen game. So he's with us as well. And we have Adam, who's one of uh, the regulars on the Forever Blue podcast team. So thanks very much to the three of you, first of all, for, for joining in tonight. Uh, I want to start with Adam. And normally I go to the former players, first of all. But because of the nature of what happened at, at, in the Liverpool game, City losing and there being a few controversial moments, I thought a fan's perspective kicking us off and getting the two ex-players to uh, to react to that might be a good way of starting things off. So, Adam, I know you said to me privately that you were ready for a rant. So here's your opportunity. What, what, what did you make of that game at Liverpool then? Well, I found first straight to the main point is the VAR for the disallowed goal, which I just feel like they they were looking for any reason to disallow that. And they found this shirt pull. Uh, if anything, I thought that was a 50-50 challenge. Uh, I don't see how that affected the goal. Uh, I've read stuff in the press today about, oh, well, the Haaland kicked the ball out of Alisson's hands, which is also not true. Um, and that, you know, you could have gone back further and there should have been a corner to Liverpool when there was a goal kick to City. And it just feels like they were that VAR was there to disallow that goal because they did not want City to win that game. Richard Masters, the, the head of the, the Premier League, said at the start of this season that his favourite thing about the Premier League was title day deciders on the last day of the season. And it's clear to me that they did not want City to win that game. We finished ahead of Liverpool in something like 13 of the last 14 seasons, and yet we've only got one win at Anfield in that time. We've got three wins at Anfield in 60 years. And I refuse to accept, despite the fact what the media tell us, that it's all just about the magic of Anfield. There was foul after foul after foul by Liverpool players. Two hands in the back, six or seven or eight times that went unpunished by Liverpool players yesterday. Fouls being let go all day long, and yet the one time they wanted to find a foul, they found one. <laughs> I saw today, there was even a suggestion that the uh, Mohamed Salah goal, uh, when he spun Joe Cancelo on the halfway line, he used his arm con to control the ball. And there's a lot of City fans latched onto that. So that would perhaps um, reinforce. Well, I don't, I don't think that, was, that actually was a handball, Ian, but I certainly did not see any VAR check of that. Well, that's, that's a fair point. Now, you two didn't play when VAR existed. I don't know whether you're fans of VAR. And obviously, your views on what Adam has just said would be very interesting. Uh, let, let's start with Michelle over in, in uh, the Netherlands. What, what, what do you think, Michelle? 
Well, first of all, uh, thanks for being on the show. Nice, uh, finally, I can make uh, the appearance. Um, I'm lucky that in my time, the cameras weren't there and every moment of jewels were checked after. Otherwise, I had a lot of more uh, yellow and red cards, maybe. Um, I think, and I agree with Adam, um, that it should lead to more uh, uh, fair uh, endings of games, ending of seasons by making the right calls. But in fairness, yesterday, uh, the game was uh, been played in, his, in, his manner, in, in a manly manner. Uh, a lot of Jews were not uh, called back or uh, been penalized by, by a foul. So I think on the, before the, the goal scored by Foden, uh, that was also a manly duel. It shouldn't have been disallowed by by the far. So in this case, I think the, the, his role was too much of an influence on, on the game. So uh, in, in certain, most times I, uh, I'm happy with the far, but not on these cases. Pep Guardiola was upset, and the reason he said he was upset was because the game had been allowed to be quite physical. That there were, I mean, as I'm sitting, well, stood watching the game in the away end, um, I noticed that there was a lot more contact between players than normal. And to be fair, I thought it, the referee was quite even-handed in the way that he let that happen. And he did let the incident happen with Haaland and the goal scored, and it was VAR that brought it back. I mean, I wrote a newspaper column today and, and I basically said um, the, the second referee, which is the man who's at Stockley Park where the VAR is, hadn't been presumably part of that conversation where Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp and the, and the referee on the day Anthony Taylor had actually spoken about this and Taylor had said to the two managers, I'm going to allow a bit more physicality, yeah. which then would, you would think, mean that that would explain why you let the Harlan incident go. But then the referee at Stockley Park, who's looking at it with no emotion, no crowd, trying to look at it forensically, then says, no, that was a foul, so I bring it back and disallow it. Now, I'm, I, that's not entering in any of the conspiracy theories that people have that this was, which is perhaps what Adam's suggesting. I'm just looking at it now forensically, and it, that's how it feels to me. What do you think, Michelle? Yeah, I think the, the, man, the man you speak about doesn't have, he's in the game. Uh, Anthony Taylor was in the game. He let the game flow. Uh, a lot of things were not penalised by a foul. And it made it an interesting game. It was like a fighting game instead of a high-quality game. I very enjoyed the spirit of Bernardo Silva. He made tackles. He was chasing people. He's tackling people. And he even attacked Mo Salah on his own half. And uh, Taylor let it play on. And that was, that was a great game to watch. And it was, it was a fighting game. And it made it spectacular to watch. And uh, then the decision to go back on a, on a goal by the PR, that is, that is quite disappointing. How would you have felt playing in that game, Michelle? Because as I remember, you you didn't shirk a tackle, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, uh, I like to tackle and I was a physical player. And what I said before, I think if the cameras were back then, a lot of fouls would have been more been penalised and a lot of players got more yellow and red cards, perhaps. Uh, but in the end, it is made and uh, organized to let games be fair and not lose by a stupid decision by a referee or a linesman.
and that can be called back and then it's more fair. So in that case, I'm, I'm for the far, but not in these decisions. If you let the game play like it's played yesterday in a manly manner, then you should allow this not to happen. And the referee must have said, okay, I, I allowed a goal and I don't look at the VAR and I don't look at the, the pictures uh, on the sideline again because he was influenced by the, the second referee, uh, of course. Once it goes to VAR, it almost feels to me as if every time the decision is going to be overturned. Um, Nicholas, you've listened to what we've said so far. What are your thoughts yep. on, on the game generally and, and on that particular incident and how significant it was? No, I can't, uh, I can't add, add a lot because uh, I, I agree with, with most of uh, what you guys already uh, pin, pinned out. Um, I'm, I, I hate VAR. I mean, I, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been the biggest, uh, uh, what do you say, critics of it since it started. Uh, obviously, now it's a lot better than the first year or two. But, uh, but to me, it's just, uh, it hasn't become a more fair game. I don't think so. I, I just think that, obviously, uh, there are situations where, where the VAR comes to its rights uh, and overturns uh, some mistake that the referee didn't see or the linesman, but it has just moved, moved to some, something else that we're discussing. And, and if it's like a 50-50, we still get these big mistakes. Uh, then, then for me, a lot of the, the charm in football is also like you already spoke about, uh, the, um, the feeling on the pitch, in the stands, uh, and, and now you can sit in miles away in, in, a, in a van with, with a little joystick and take frame by frame. And, and the crowd has to wait for 30, 50 seconds to, is it a goal? Is it not a goal? Can we, uh, can we cheer the, and the, I mean, I, I, I absolutely hate it. So, uh, and, and again, yesterday also as a, as a former player, you know, you know, like, like the referee already before the game said, I want, <clears throat> I want to allow a more physical match today then then you know as a player uh, yeah if if this happens and and they just take one one decision out and it's not even it's leading up to the goal of course but it's not in in one decisive uh, scene uh, close to the goal then it's like uh, taking back and how long can you take it back then you have to discuss that and i mean uh, i'm i might be old fashioned but uh, but i i really really don't like the ai and 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 that that game yesterday, to me, it was also clear that uh, if if uh, the, it's the inconsistency about the the line that's put through the game, if if you have a, a referee on the pitch and he he can't it, because he obviously saw it and he didn't thought it was anything because that was his line, and then they sit somewhere and they they say call him in the ear and say yeah we we call it back and it's uh, Haaland pulls his shirt and. Yeah, there was shirt pulling for the for the the first sixty minutes also. So um, yeah, I don't like it. I must admit, I, I'm a, um, I have been anyway in the past a very emotional person. I spent a lot of time commentating on games and showing everybody the emotions that I felt. Uh, and I've been a fan for forty seven years, going to every game, home and away. So obviously, I've seen every game that you two played in a in a sky blue shirt um, and. 
I have to admit that partly perhaps because of playing behind closed doors, but also partly because of VAR, that some of the emotion, or probably more because of the VAR actually, some of the emotional has gone. So even though, I, and I must be in a minority because when I was in the away end at Anfield, everybody around me went absolutely mental when the goal went in. And I, whilst I sort of smiled and acknowledged it, I didn't jump about and I, and I kept thinking, we're going to see the, the letters VAR appear in a, moment, in a moment. And yet, I hadn't seen anything wrong with it. And when VAR went up, I thought it must have been that the ball was kicked out of the goalkeeper's hands. It was the only thing I could think of, because it's the only thing I could observe. So the people around me are all going, what's that been disallowed for? You start texting people. You start. I'm texting my son then at home saying, what's happened? Why, why has this been disallowed? And even he, who's watching it on TV, isn't quite certain. And I, I, I just think, and I've felt it for a long time, that the way that VAR is used it has taken away a lot of the emotion of the, the, the game to me. I mean, Nicholas, if, imagine that goal you scored against Leeds that everybody remembers you for being ruled out because there'd been a player come back from an on, offside position, you know, six passes earlier or something. Yeah. Imagine how that would have felt to you as a player. Yeah, that would have been awful. Obviously, I would would have had to to score a cracker in the next home game then. But uh, but of course, <laughs> it's uh, no, it, it's uh, it, I know it's it's a it's a different time now, and and I can obviously I don't want uh, anything uh, not fair if we if we can. For 100%, 100% certain, see, okay, that's a clear foul. Goal line technology, I'm all for it because you can't, you can't discuss it. It's not a matter of if it's you or me seeing this. I, I think they, they are allowed to play a little bit more physical than you or someone else. Then, then, it's, then, then we're discussing it anyway, like we did before VAR. And, and then if you take away that charm of the football, then I think that we 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 lose too much uh, in in bringing in in uh, VAR. That's my opinion. Adam, yeah. Adam, I know you wanted to come in. Yeah, I mean, I listened to Martin Tyler last night on his YouTube podcast thing, and he was saying he, he said, um, "Oh, you know, this, it could have been given, it could have not been given, you know." And sometimes these things go in your favour, and sometimes they go against you. And then thirty seconds later, without any trace of irony, he said, "And that means that City still have only got three wins in fifty league appearances at Anfield." And the whole point is, it's not just about one incident; it's about year after year after year at Anfield. And there's nobody in their right mind thinks that if Liverpool had scored that goal yesterday, that that would have got disallowed because it would not. We'll come back to this in just a second. But one thing I want to ask both of you two, because you you watch football a lot more closely to me in other countries. So, Michelle, how is VAR used and administered in Holland, for example? Is it used better or is it just used the same as it is in England? Well, I think in Holland, um, we used to have a lot of referees who are great personalities on the pitch. They got a lot of respect for the players before the VAR. Uh, because of the way they uh, handle the game, or they lead the game in, in a manly manner most times, and they get the respect of the players. Now, a referee on the pitch in Holland most times makes decisions but also knows, oh, I have to make the right decision, otherwise the VAR is in my ear. And they are not as much the personalities I used to know on the pitch. There's a one or two in Holland, they 
they, they allow the game played in the normal way, like before. And he doesn't listen to the VAR all the time. So he makes his own decisions on the pitch. Only one time happened, he was called anyway to, to the sidelines by a VAR. And he was pissed because he, um, excuse my language, he was, he was upset because he didn't think it was a foul, but the VAR called him to see it. I think it's a foul. So when he goes to the sidelines, he has to do something with this and maybe recall the, the, his decision or give some another decision. So he was a bit upset about that. So but mo not many referees in Holland have that uh, personality and are very uh, aware of the VAR in their area. So, so it sounds like it's quite similar to what we're witnessing in England then. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't watch all the games, but um, yeah, in this game, I was, I was quite happy with Andy Taylor most of the game. Uh, well, I was very disappointed with the recalling decision by the goal. So, uh, what's it like yeah. in 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 Denmark then, Nicholas? Is it is it used better? I mean, because in theory, it's only supposed to be there for clear and obvious mistakes, but that's not yeah. what happens in England. No, and it's it's the same in Denmark. We don't have any uh, any game days uh, where where we don't uh, where they don't discuss on on television. Uh, for many minutes, uh, oh, now it's the VAR again. And I think right now in Denmark, uh, there's a big focus on this uh, handball situation. Uh, just yesterday, I think they gave three or four penalties. And again, when you've played, I mean, you, you cannot cut off your hands. You cannot, uh, what's, a, what's a, a normal situation of your body? Obviously, if you're out of balance, you're going to use your hands in some way. You cannot just do this and... And uh, and again, they sit with the with the joystick and and do that. And oh yeah, of course it's a handball, but I mean they didn't get any advantage of it, etc. And I think the situation in Denmark right now is we have we had a, a lot of uh, young new referees coming through, and uh, and the older ones who were actually experienced and quite good, they now outside in the VAR van. Uh, so there's a little bit of. Uh, of, uh, I, I think the, the new referees are a little bit afraid of not listening to the old, old ones because they want to progress in their career, obviously. So if, if they uh, go against what the, the old referee says uh, outside in the van, then uh, to me right now, that's a quite obvious problem in, in Denmark. So, um, yeah, but again, I, I hate it. So, uh, so I, can't, I can't say it, it's working good in Denmark, no. I'll come back to Michelle again in a second, but let me start by asking you, Nicholas, about um, Adam's suggestion. And he's not the only one, by the way. There's a lot of City fans saying this, and a lot of football fans saying this, that it's a sort of conspiracy theory, that it, it's no coincidence that, that City lost that game and continued to lose at Anfield. I mean, I was listening to a radio station before the game and the presenters were quite open. And I don't blame them for this, by the way, saying they wanted Liverpool to win because it would make the title race more interesting. And I suppose if you're not a City fan and you step back from it, it does make it more interesting. But surely, and, and, and as a football fan, as a long-time journalist, if I believed that there was corruption in the game and that decisions were being made to make things, and you as players must obviously think this as well, um, it, you, you wouldn't want to be involved in the game if you thought it was corrupt. But first of all, do you understand that the, the people think in that way? And do you think there's any truth in it? Nicholas? 
Well, I, I didn't know the uh, all, all these uh, numbers of the games and how uh, how few times City actually had won uh, at Anfield over the the last many years. So um, so it's really hard not to to make some uh, some connection about it. Uh, and uh, I'm sure Adam has watched uh, the the last many games there very thoroughly. Uh, I didn't, so so I can't really say if it's if it's true or not. But but. Uh, it does bring to mind what what happened a few days ago with with the top table at Sky, where normally it's the top ten. And uh, and at first I thought it was a joke or someone uh, making it making it up to, uh, to to make something funny out of it. But but if I mean if if that's the case, then then obviously uh, it it does show a little bit of how uh, some decision makers in, in certain roles, if it's the media or, or maybe even uh, in, uh, in, in like the, the referees union, or I don't know, but I don't, I don't want to suggest anything, but, uh, but that's, a, that's a funny thing as well, that uh, all of a sudden Liverpool in, in elf, uh, 11th position were, were in the top half. And uh, I, I laughed a little bit about it, but uh, maybe that's also a, a little... A uh, little funny sign about how how people think of Liverpool in, in the UK, maybe. Hats off to you that you in Denmark actually noticed that and yeah. and, and saw the irony of it. I mean, it's great yeah. to have two former City players on who are not from Manchester, not from even from England, who obviously yeah. still have a lot of affection for the club. Um, what do you what do you think, Michelle? Is do you feel that there's if there is there any possibility that, that these things are corrupt or are you are you like me you have to believe that it's all honest and it's just coincidence I hope not to believe that it's corruption uh, I think that would be a, a big shame for the for the, for the sport um, as a true fan I can I can sympathize and I can feel with the, with the, the fans of, of city because they have not won many times at the Enfield um, I think the last time was in the COVID period when there was no crowd. So maybe that's a big, big factor. Um, that Anfield is quite a quite an important uh, pitch to go to with, with the crowd. We have a similar stadium in Holland when Feyenoord plays at home. It's intimidating. And um, we have the same criticism against referees. When you play as an opponent against Feyenoord in their stadium, you always feel a little bit um, in a disadvantage. Uh, the referee might take decisions in favor of the home team, and that feeling I can, I can, I can sympathize with because I've been on the pitch there and I, I've seen decisions being made by referees against us as the opponent or final in their stadium, because the crowd is so intimidating and the referees who go there, uh, yeah, they they know it's a big place to go to. So uh, maybe that's the same with with Liverpool and Anfield. So I don't know if all the referees are used to have a game at, at Anfield, but if you there not been many times as a, as a referee, it can quite be intimidating when you make decisions, which can decide uh, a win or lose for Liverpool. Well, we're on the subject of intimidation then, as a player, have you, when, especially when you played for City, but it could be when you play for somebody else. Does that intimidation affect you as a player? Well, you notice the crowd and the atmosphere. Uh, I enjoyed it very much all the time. If we were away or at home, at home it was was great to play for the, for the city fans. But I also enjoyed uh, the hostility from from uh, an opponent crowd in their home stadium. And the, 
it gave me uh, more strength and more will to uh, to to win the game without you. It made you stronger because uh, nothing is a better feeling than to silence the crowd when you're playing away and you win the game there. So that's a great which feeling. Le which and leads to an interesting agree, question. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, Nicholas, yeah. what's your feeling on that? No, it's, uh, I, I have the same feeling. And, and of course, referees are also human beings. Uh, they're, not, uh, they're not made of steel. They're not robots. So so it's uh, it's a big impact if uh, fifty thousand are are screaming at you every time. Uh, that's a that's a small thing with with uh, Liverpool or whatever team it is. Um, and then of course I think also uh, for in in some games because uh, I I played in Copenhagen obviously in, in Denmark which is the biggest team here and we all always heard that as well. They are the referees are always behind Copenhagen. Now they got another penalty in the dying minutes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when you are in that team uh, getting that criticism that way, then you start to think about, okay, but maybe it's because now we've been in, we, we play at home, we are the superior team. So we have the ball 65% uh, of the time. We end the penalty box uh, 20 times every half. You're never in our penalty box. So obviously the, uh, the situations are, are more common that, that we will get that penalty in the end. Uh, and if you're not uh, a Copenhagen fan, then you obviously see the opposite. Um, but um, and and I'm sure some people would would say the same about City when they play in uh, in their home ground. They would say, okay, yeah, now they they got another late uh, winner because of this and this and this. So that's uh, also how it is to be uh, the favorites and the big teams, and uh, you you have just have to live with that. But um, but yeah, they are they're human beings. So I, I don't, I'm. I'm very, very sure that there's nothing about corruption in it. But obviously, if you have feelings for, for something, for the underdog, for the, the title race to become more exciting, etc., then, of course, after 85 minutes of, of hearing certain things, it's easier to, to give a penalty or, or free kick or whatever. That's, uh, that's my opinion. While we're on the subject of crowds, obviously, I was in Copenhagen last <laughs> week. And uh, afterwards, I was interviewing fans and there was an interesting debate on the video that I did between a Danish supporter and a City fan who the City fan was basically saying that he didn't like the drumming and the guy on the megaphone doing the, the orchestrating of the crowd, although he didn't deny that it was very, very loud and very intense. The Danish fan thought it was great and at least two, side, two sides of the ground were really, really loud and created a lot of atmosphere. First of all, you've played in that, Nick, Nick and, I, and I guess it was like that when you played there as well. So I just wonder what your thoughts on that are, are from a player's perspective, but also on being a, you know, a Copenhagen legend and an, an ex-player and being a native of Copenhagen. So what, what, what do you think of that? I think that uh, the fan base in, in Denmark has, uh, has really become uh, yeah, dominating the last... Uh, yeah, just just before COVID, and and then especially after, it's it's like uh, the COVID brought a lot of uh, a lot of things into these fans that they have to get rid of now, and and they're really 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 uh, loud, etc. But but it also unfortunately brought along a lot of uh, fighting, and uh, and especially 
Bronby and Copenhagen has always been the big rivals here uh, on and off the pitch. And, uh, and sadly, the last couple of derbies between Bronby and Copenhagen has been not nice on the, on the spectator side. So, uh, so just uh, yesterday, Bronby played against Copenhagen and uh, Copenhagen were not allowed to, to bring any fans uh, to the away game in Bronby. Uh, when Copenhagen played away at the Borussia Dortmund, Bromby fans traveled 700 kilometers to go into the Dortmund end. And before the game, they, they ran and, and threw fireworks at the Copenhagen fans who were already at the stadium. Uh, and uh, it, it's just gotten out of hand right now. So there's a big focus on it. And that's obviously the, the dark side of that good atmosphere that it also creates because uh, obviously... 95% of, of these fans, they, they are not there for, for the fighting, but, um, but it, it, uh, it needs to be, it needs to come to another level in, in Denmark right now because it's got a little bit out of hand and it's become a political uh, situation and question and the police are, are really uh, using a lot of their, um, uh, their money and, and resources on it. So, uh, so right now it, it's, 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 a, it's a bad place, but uh, but for sure, the last couple of years, uh, Copenhagen fans ha has really grown in numbers. And I think this year uh, is the record-breaking. Uh, I think they, they've sold 20,000 season tickets, uh, Copenhagen, which is, for Danish standards, uh, absolutely magnificent. Never happened before. So, uh, so as long as we can, can take away the, the bad apples and, and just let, let people enjoy themselves and, and support the team, then, of course, I... I'm a big fan of, uh, as a former player and a Copenhagen fan of, of the, the good atmosphere in the stadium. Well, what, I'll perhaps bring Adam in on what, what Liverpool's atmosphere is like in a moment and some of the things that have been suggested happened in the game. But, Michelle, I've also been over to Feyenoord with City and seen what the Dutch fans are like. And they're, they're pretty passionate too. And does it, does it make a difference? Did it make a difference when you were a player? Does it make a difference to the current crop? And does it influence refereeing decisions in the way that we're, we're perhaps talking about in terms of the City-Liverpool game? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Feyenoord is one of the big teams uh, towards crowds, uh, fan base. They are very passionate, uh, and you know when you go to Feyenoord as an opponent, you have a yeah, you have a, a crowd against you who are who are passionate, who are supporting their team in all times, in good and bad times. Um, I think that's one of the big teams in, in Holland who can have uh, look back on a big big fan base. Uh, all the other teams, I can't compare towards England and I think it, the English atmosphere for me was far, far better. If I'm at home watching games in Holland and I'm switching to English game, I can always feel the, the, the intense atmosphere from, from the crowd because I've played there and I know what it is like to be on the pitch and, and the, the fans are singing there and, and they're singing all through the game and in Holland it's not like that. So. Uh, yeah, I, I very enjoyed playing in England because of the fans, because it was so passionate. Adam, obviously the, the Liverpool game uh, after it has been talked about quite a bit. I mean, I was in the away end and there were some chanting that was aimed at the Liverpool fans, which they've got a little bit up, upset about. Uh, we saw pop, um, a couple of other things that I'll bring into this, which 
you could argue, um, incited the crowd was Klopp's reaction when a decision went against him and he intimidated a linesman and ran and got a red card for that. But Guardiola, Pep Guardiola, also when a decision didn't go his way, turned around to a section of Liverpool fans behind him. And I personally think he should have kept his counsel a little bit more, but he was quite agitated and 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 having a go at them. All right, he didn't do anything physical, and he was smiling while he did it, but still, it wound up the Liverpool fans. Not that this excuses it one moment, but people then started throwing coins down at the bench as well. Um, what did you make of all that, Adam? I mean, there's, there's good and bad in every set of supporters, and even some of the City fans as well, you've got to see Oh, just to add as well, um, a City fan who I know said that, uh, you know, that there were flares thrown at City fans, that they were urinated on from above. I didn't see any of that. And we've seen today that the City coach, City have said that the front window, I think it's the front window of the coach, was damaged by an object when it left the stadium. So that the intimidating atmosphere is great. And that's what Nicholas that's why his comments were so well balanced between talking about the influence of the crowd, but also it not going too far. And there's a danger that the great rivalry between City and Liverpool spilling over to the two coaches, spilling over to the fans could lead to, to even worse things than, than what we're seeing at the moment, Adam. Uh, well, I guess to start with the, the two chants that City have been um, vilified for in the media today, because they're supposed to be about Hillsborough. Um, to my mind, neither of those chances about Hillsborough, but Liverpool fans, of course, demand the right to constantly be offended. So that's the narrative in the press. Uh, the, the, the two things, as far as I'm concerned, is, yeah, the throwing of cups of urine over the top um, and the throwing of coins, both of which are alleged to have happened, because we can't say that they did happen, because it's Liverpool fans are talking about here. Uh, but that's obviously a physical thing is, is you know, it's is different from singing a song. I agree that you can't sing homophobic, racist, sexist stuff. I accept that, obviously. But the two songs that we're being accused of singing is being blown out of all proportion. And the coverage I've seen today is all focused on these two songs that City fans sang. And I just don't understand how that's worse than smashing windows and, and throwing urine at people. Well, I can certainly agree that words, I mean, I was brought up by my dad and mum and dad to say, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But still, we do know that we live in a world where offensive language and offensive words is not what you want to hear. Um, I mean, I certainly, in the midst of all those away fans, could hear uh, uh, City fans, I'm not saying all of them, but a group of them singing murderers, um, which you're perhaps suggesting it was more about the Heysel disaster rather than Hillsborough, which doesn't, I mean, you can have opinions and all that, but it's still not, still not what you want to hear at a football match, surely. Uh, I, I mean, I wasn't there, I didn't sing it, but I, I don't see how this, this is such an, a vile and offensive chant. I mean, they're singing Manchester is full of whatever it is. Are we all supposed to start crying about that now? Can you not sing anything at football matches? Mm. <laughs> I wonder what the, the, the two ex-players think. I mean, Nicholas, what, what, what do you think about, you know, the chanting? And, 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 and in fact, you can talk about Pep and, 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 uh, and, and uh, Klopp as well. By the way, just to say, I could certainly see coins coming down because um, I saw the physio pick a handful of them up and put them in his pocket. So there were definitely coins that, that came down. But, you know, given what you might not know this story as intently, 
Nicholas, but you know enough about it to have an opinion. So what, what do you think? Yeah, I think it, it is uh, it is weird times about especially the, the the singing, the language. What are you allowed to say? People get offended a lot easier, it seems, than than uh, than not so many years ago. And uh, and obviously, I don't I don't think that like you touched on before any homophobic, racist things towards uh, certain players, etc has nothing, hasn't any time on earth. Uh, we cannot live with that. But, but I mean, then there's a, a gray area for me where I think a lot of these chants, they, they, they belong in the game. It's, it's part of the game. Uh, and, and obviously, they're, sometimes they're more fun, fun than other times. But, uh, but that's, that's one side. And then obviously all the physical stuff, throwing stuff at people, at the players, uh, stones at the bus. I mean, that that are that are situations for me that uh, in the end somebody will die of, of something. I mean, if uh, what what what's the next? I mean, then it's uh, uh, then it's bigger stone that hits someone in in the head or whatever. So the the fighting and all the physical stuff is is for me totally unacceptable. And and within the language and the singing, there's a gray area and there are a few topics obviously that we. We don't want to hear it all, but that's that's part of it. I mean, uh, we, we don't want a silent stadium either. So, uh, so uh, and and the, the the thing the the singing yesterday, I I didn't hear any of that, so I can't really comment on on that particularly. But um, but that that's how I see it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, one of the, the the chants that we've heard in the past, certainly from City fans, uh, relates to Munich and the air disaster, and thankfully. Yeah pretty much gone now um but michelle is is that something that you've got opinions on in in terms of what pep did what Klopp did and the, the reaction to all that as well well it was a high tense game um i um think it's a bit shame that the coaches they reflect the team uh, on the pitch um, if they go like mad miller across the line I think that reflects your team, the way you, you are in the game. I think uh, coaches like Pep Guardiola and Klopp don't need that. They can be themselves, but it's so high-tense game. And the emotions were running high. And the decisions made or well, not made made uh, them react like this. I, I don't think it's a good, good sign. Uh, I agree on what Nicholas says about the fans. The chanting and the singing is part of what fans make really great. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a few of them uh, crossed the line a few times, uh, make it more physical or damaging goods or threatening people or um, make uh, a whole stadium have to stop uh, because a few people are going crazy and uh, games are going interfered because there is crowd uh, fighting, throwing fireworks or damaging the stadium uh, and the game can't continue because of a few people and that's uh, a shame. Unfortunately that uh, happens all the time and uh, we can't uh, abandon that. Uh, I think that's also part of the game but hopefully it stays uh, within boundaries and doesn't go too far like uh, Nicholas says and people dying because of it. We haven't talked much about the football. We've talked about VAR. We've talked about the incidents, the key incidents. So, um, let, let's let me ask Adam first of all. I mean, 
Um, City played with a back three yesterday, which which wasn't typical of the way that they played. They played with two holding midfielders, Gundogan and, and Rodri. Um, we didn't see the best of Haaland. What, what would be your assessment? I've seen some City fans saying Pep always gets it wrong in the big games. Um, what, what's your assessment of, of all that? Yeah, I think that's all valid. And for all that I've been moaning about the VAR, I mean, that's not the only reason we didn't win that game. You know, I think Haaland really on any other day would have scored two, possibly three in the first half yesterday. I thought both of those headers he could have scored. He was a bit unlucky when he tried to chip the keeper. And, you know, on another day, we could have been out of sight at half time. They had chances as well. You know, it was, it was a ding-dong game. My personal feeling is Gundogan is not the kind of player to play in that high-energy physical game. And I think Gundogan's great at hovering around the D, trying to unlock defences when... When, we, when we're playing teams with 10 men behind the ball, but in a game like that, I just don't see what it gives us. Um, but uh, I also do agree that Pep tries to make these wacky decisions in these big games, and I don't know if that's overconfidence or a lack of confidence. I really don't know which it is, but I wish he would just send out the best team to play the best football against Liverpool like he does against every other team in the league. Let me ask you as a more blunt question to you, Michelle. Did Pep get his tactics wrong yesterday? Well, the first thing I noticed is that Gonzalo was playing right back. Um, and he's posted three central defenders in the back. Uh, Giacani, I don't, I don't know, really got a big head of him. Uh, I don't think he's, he's physical, he's strong, he's a good defender. But when you need to play the ball, you need a player who can bring the ball into the next line, you can play uh, through the lines. And I don't think um, he was a, he's able to do that. Uh, and Gonzalo was uh, very good the last weeks on his left uh, back position. He's delivered a few crosses for Haaland to score from the, from the byline. I think uh, Kevin De Bruyne was, was not in his best game. He was neutralized. He was out of the game. You didn't see him. He was in a bad position. Um, Ake, which is a Dutch player, I know from a Dutch game, he can defend really well, but he's also not a good player to bring the ball forward. And Foden, he didn't get his game because he was pressurized all the time by uh, the right back of Liverpool. And he didn't get a, much in. Beyond the, the second half, he got more space, he got more attacking role in towards the game and then you see City got more chances and Kevin De Bruyne got more part of the game. He was most of the game he was not taking part in the game really. It's funny you mentioned that's why also Haaland had a poor game because he didn't have any deliveries. It's funny you mentioned Foden being up against the right back. A few City fans have said to me since then this was 36-year-old James Milner and they were disappointed that Foden hadn't exploited that a little bit more. Is that a fair comment, do you think? Well, I think that was a really tactical move from Klopp. He put a pit bull on Foden and uh, he didn't give him an inch. So every time Foden got the ball, Milner was in his, in his neck and his back. And he pressurised him so much that he had to play the ball back, play square. He didn't have time to make his forward runs or get it caught inside. A few times he, he managed and then it got dangerous. So, but most of the game he, he didn't uh, was allowed to do that. Nicholas. And I think he had a, a good combination with Cancelo the last few games. So I didn't I didn't know why Pep put Cancelo on the other side. 
Well, he was actually the last defender when um, Salah made that break, and obviously it was his mistake. Um, and I was a bit surprised that Ruben Diaz or Kanji weren't the player that were left back to be the last defender, as it were, in case of one of those breaks. And there's a couple of things I can ask you, Nicholas, which is the direct question I asked Michelle about whether Pep got it wrong. But also, I'd be interested to know your views on Cancelo, particularly, as Michelle said, he played. He actually played as a very attacking right-back, really, didn't he? Most of the time he was in midfield, he was upfield. But he's been very effective as a left-back. Now, you were a left-back, you were a left-footed left-back. And I'm old enough to remember um, Glyn Pardo playing for City. He was a right-footed left-back. It can be done, but I'm guessing, old school, that maybe you prefer left-footed left-backs. But so, so, so pick the bones out of that, whatever you want to say about um, whether Pep got his tactics wrong and whether Cancelo's more effective at left-back or right-back. <laughs> uh, for, for sure, he's, uh, he's, he's more effective on the left side. Uh, that, that's very, very clear and obvious. Um, whether the tactics were wrong, it's obviously when, when you go away with nothing from the game, uh, it's, uh, it's very easy to to tend to say, of course, uh, he could have done that and that and that. I, I think uh, a big part of the game yesterday was also that Liverpool, um, comparing to the last couple of seasons, uh, they had a clear, clear underdog role yesterday. So they kind of were allowed to, to first and foremost, uh, break uh, the play of Man City because uh, all of the Liverpool fans, they just didn't want to lose. They they couldn't care less if they if if Liverpool played well. They just didn't want uh, to to lose three uh, 0 and uh, and you can say that that club saw that right. He uh, we we touched on it before. They uh, they did a lot of fouls, a lot of uh, physical playing. They they uh, didn't allow uh, um, the city players uh, many square meters. So so that's also a, a part of the the story yesterday. Whereas if it was like. Uh, neck to neck in, in the top uh, first versus second, then, uh, then they would never have uh, gone into the game in that state of mind as they did yesterday, uh, is my opinion. Um, and then again, like Adam said, uh, Haaland could have scored and, and then City could have won 2-0, 3-1, whatever, which would not, could also be a, a normal scoreline uh, if, if you had seen the game yesterday. So... Um, so that's that's football, and that's uh, that's that's what we all like about football. That uh, one game that doesn't really go your way, then we can all discuss a little bit about the tactics. Uh, Cancelo going on the right instead of the left, and uh, it's a fine line of of genius and uh, and not so genius. So uh, so I, I think it's 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 a fair discussion, but I, I would say that. It would be hard to say that the tactics were were wrong. It it was it was more other other matters to me really. Are Liverpool City's biggest challenges in this title race. Pep seems to think so. Um, yeah, may, maybe I'm I'm not so sure. I I think for sure that that Arsenal uh, might be the the toughest opponent for for City this uh, this year. They. Uh, they're doing some some good things, obviously with 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 the Arteta there, who uh, who kind of uh, yeah just uh, just took the the Man City thing and and tried to implement it uh, in in Arsenal and 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 whether it's been enough time for him to to really get them 
going over a whole season. Uh, I'm not so sure, which is also why I, of course, uh, think and hope that that City would win it again. But uh, but I do see a different Arsenal than than the different seasons and and Liverpool. They they have uh, quality enough to to also uh, slowly uh, go towards the top uh, and and be a contender. Uh, obviously, because they've they've done that for for many years, uh, being a contender. Um, so, um, so they are, they are, they are still, still in it because it's, uh, it's early season, but, um, but I, I can't really see any, any other team that then City win it. Uh, and that's, uh, that's even if I'm trying to be as, uh, as neutral as I can be. When you've lost a, a big game against a rival, Michelle, like Liverpool, City were due to play Arsenal away uh, this coming Wednesday, but it's been called off because um, the game against, ironically, uh, PSV has been moved to Thursday night. As a player, would your instinct have been you want to play a big game like that as soon as possible afterwards? Or do you think Pep's quite happy that that game now isn't taking place and he's got five days to work with the players? Every time you lose, the next game is a big game. So it doesn't matter who, who you play against. You want to come back from a defeat. And so the, the next game is always the biggest game. So it doesn't matter if you play another team who can show the same attitude as Liverpool had. They can sit behind, attack uh, uh, City on, on their own half, break their play and, and work on the, on the, um, the attack in, as, as a reaction. So, uh, yeah, always the next game is the big game. It, I helps. Think it's always a play it helps your mind because it will be Arsenal or Chelsea. And obviously, you're more in a state of mind. This is a big game. But the next game is also a big game. I think if I was a player, I'd want to play Arsenal in the next one. I'd be re- raring to go, thinking, I want to put right, right what went wrong on Sunday. Um in the time we've got left, normally, because there's not as many topics to talk about, when I have a former player on, I ask a little bit about their time at City. So what we're going to need to do is get you two back on again at some stage. But just briefly, Michelle, I know that one of the things that I remember about your time at City was that you had a bit of a falling out with Brian Horton. Um, what happened there and, and what, what do you remember of it now when you look back? Well... Those days were different. Uh, you could only play three foreigners at the time, I think. Uh, Ryan Horton came in from Oxford uh, after Peter Reid was um, sacked, I think. Uh, we didn't know him. Uh, he treated us foreigners differently than the English guys. He had a, a more enough of an, an ambition for the, the English players and didn't like uh, me, Elvis Grunendijk. I think uh, the Norwegian player, uh, we were more like uh, victims of his, uh, his policy. Um, and in the end, I just commented on things happening at City. I, we were really struggling. Uh, I think we were on the relegation zone. I said it to the press here sometimes. Uh, he's under pressure because we're not doing well. And that's, I took out of the paper. But they turned into that I mentioned that he should be sacked. So uh, I didn't say that about in the end, I uh, got a big row with him and, and, and Francis Lee backed him up. So he suspended me for two weeks. So that was it. 
How different it is now with social media and everything. You won't get away with saying anything these days, would you? Um, um, Nicholas, I, I'm guessing it was happy times for you, um, Kevin Keegan and and all the rest of it. It was, it was great football, wasn't it, when you played? Well, sure. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was really, really, really nice. I mean, the the philosophy of of Keegan, the attacking uh, mindset he had. The uh, the motivation he he brought to to us players to to go out and and enjoy ourselves uh, was just uh, yeah really nice to be be part of so um, so I really enjoyed myself there. I've got to ask you yeah. about the next gong, uh, Michelle. I had a great time as well. Eh? So this, this is a, this is a little incident that happened uh, during my spell at City, but I was yeah. so grateful and uh, thankful to play there. I had great times and. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So uh, with Peter Reed and uh, also with Brian Watson. So it was a small incident, and uh, well, I, I'd be proud. I'm proud of being. I certainly didn't want to pigeonhole you in that, Michelle. I knew <laughs> I enjoyed watching you play, and you had a great partnership with Keith Curl, as I remember. Yeah, when I came, first of all, Steve Redman was in, in the back with uh, with Keith. And then I came in the game with, uh, with Keith. I played on the left side. Normally I was a right central defender, but obviously Keith played there, so I played alongside him on the left side. So left uh, left central defender. Have you got one particular memory that sticks out in your mind, Michelle, as your happiest memory at City? It might not even be a game. It might be just something about the club that you remember for so fondly. Well, there's so many to make remember, but. The best thing I remember was in one week when I came, we played uh, at that time, Shovel Wednesday were in top. We played Leeds and we played Man United. They were like the top four playing each other in like a, a couple of days. And the, the first game was at the uh, Old Trafford and uh, we drew uh, one all and uh, we got you know, a new point. It got sent off uh, when they were leading one nil and we scored also uh, a penalty because of David White uh, got fouled by Steve Bruce. And uh, we we managed to uh, get a one one, and that was my my first derby. So uh, that was stood out in my memory. Well, Dixie who made his debut back, back in those days. A, a draw at Old Trafford was a good result, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a good result. We did well that season. I'm guessing that great goal against Leeds, which you must get asked about every single time you speak to a City fan, Nicholas, is your standout memory, or have you got another one? Um. Yeah, of course. On on a personal note, uh, that that was uh, that that's the one thing that people uh, uh, remembers about me. Anyway, then then I, obviously I have some some other good good memories, and obviously the last the last derby at the main road, we beat uh, Man United three one, and we we beat them uh, well deserved. I think we we had a, a great game there, so that was uh, that was another good one, and. Uh, and the main road was just something special as well. And it was the, the last season there. So so the atmosphere was just buzzing every single time. And uh, yeah, that was that was just special the whole way through, really. Yeah. Uh, I just want to give Adam an opportunity here. You, you must have seen Nicholas play. And I don't know if you saw Michelle play as well. You're quite young relatively to me. Did you remember these two fondly? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, Nicholas was part of that great swagger, staggering, uh, attacking play of you know the Keegan style, and he fitted in as a very cultured, nice to watch left back for sure. And old Vonky Wonky and Curly Whirly, I remember those two very well as well. <laughs> dedicated players, two great players who represented the club with distinction, and uh, it's a real pleasure to meet you both tonight. 
Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. Nicholas, before we finish, I know you played for Borussia Dortmund as well, and, and next week City travel to Dortmund in the in the Champions League. Um, it's a game that, that's going to be played just to basically settle who wins the group rather than come second. Uh, I just yeah. wonder what, what you think Dortmund fans will be like out there and what how Dortmund might approach you. You've got a better insight than, than we have. You know, I mean, City might rest players. I don't know what Pep's reaction will be, but how do you think Dortmund will take it? Ah, for sure, it's a, it's a big game for them. They are they're struggling in the league. Uh, they are. They're a big, big club, big team. Uh, every year, the fan, the fans there, they have a big fan base, average uh, 75, 77,000 or something like that in, in their home games. So every year, they uh, they are supposed to to push Bayern Munich for for the title, and for a long time they uh, they didn't do that. So um, so this season they they got off uh, bad in the league. They are. They're searching a little bit of the way they, they really want to play. Uh, obviously, they they were unlucky with with the the replacement of of Haaland, uh, Hala, who uh, unfortunately got cancer. Uh, he's on his way back, and and uh, everything should be good. Uh, so they they really miss the quality up front. Uh, so they have to rely on on some of the other players, uh, especially Royce, obviously, who's the the star man. So, uh, so they really need the uh, the success in in Champions League. So uh, against City at home, they will definitely go into the game with with everything they've got and, and see if they can, yeah, uh, exploit that uh, that City are already through. And maybe if they sense okay, we haven't got a lot of things to do here, then then they hope that they can get the three points. But uh, would be interesting to to see the game, obviously. What sort of reception do you think Erling Haaland will get from the Borussia Dortmund fans? I'm sure he will get a, a brilliant uh, uh, reception. I mean, he's uh, he's done so well for them, and he's been uh, when, when he was there. Even though it was was it two seasons, uh, every single game he gave everything, and obviously the the goal scoring records there is, uh, is second to none and speaks its own language. So. Uh, so he all, he's very passionate passionate player who uh, who gives a lot of heart for the for the team he's representing so um so he he's a big star there still is and 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 left the club in in a situation where everybody knew that he had to move on so uh, so I can't really see anyone there uh, not cheering him and and uh, giving giving him a warm welcome back City's next game Michelle is against Brighton um and you you hinted before when you answered the question that maybe the next game is the one where the other team suffers. Do you expect City to be really be up for the Brighton game, even though in theory, on paper, it looks a relatively straightforward home game against rivals, not real big rivals at the top, you know, just they're just another Premier League team. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's not, it's not the standard of Liverpool. So do you expect City to let loose all their anger on Brighton? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, the main thing is they get a result again, get back on the winning, uh, stay in contention with Arsenal because they're doing really well, like Nicholas said. They won nine out of ten, so they're three points behind. And it's good to, to stay ahead of the, the Liverpool fans uh, and, and the Liverpool team because they're quite a contender as well, as Nicholas said. I think they will climb the table. Because uh, they've been doing a bit, uh, bit bad in the first games, 
but they will catch up if they continue on on the game from yesterday. So uh, it'd be it'd be good to go back to business and start winning. But it's not so easy as people think that we will do that. You have to do it. You have to put the effort in. You have to put your play on on the pitch. Uh, you have to get your best out again and get Haaland to score again. So back uh, Gonzalo on the left back and, uh, and Brown to take more role into the game. <laughs> so. Where are you, Adam? A final word to you, really. Um, you know, are, are you downcast because of the defeat against Liverpool? Or, I mean, there's, there's four more league games before the, the World Cup. Um, now that that game's gone, I'd ex certainly expect City to win the remaining four league games before the Qatar World Cup. But in the second half of the season, there's going to be two games against Tottenham, two games against Chelsea, two games against Arsenal, uh, United at Old Trafford, Liverpool at the Etihad, the latter stages of the Champions League, the FA Cup, some big games coming in that second half of the year, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, I'm always, I always say the same thing, though. I think, we're, I think we're the best team. I go into every game. I know we won't win every game, but I go into every game expecting us to win. I was really annoyed yesterday, but it's gone now, you know. And, it, and let's be honest, Derby Day, I've still got a smile on my face from Derby Day. You win some, you lose some. But come the second half of the season, I expect us to be top of the league because we're the best team in the league. What a nice positive way to end the podcast. Um, I can't thank Michelle and Nicholas enough for being part of this podcast. And because we had such a big topic to talk about, I feel as though we didn't perhaps do you two justice. So I hope at some point I can get you, you back on, whether it's together or separately. But it'd um, be lovely to speak to you again on another occasion. But thanks very much to the both of you for, first okay. of all, your obvious Pleasure. passion still for City, but also for, for taking time out to join us. I really appreciate it. Um, same with Adam. Uh, thanks very much again to Howard Solicitors, based in Stockport, Ashton and Cheshire. They specialise in family law. So if you're going through a separation or having problems with, with children and social services, give them a call. They also specialise in area of law that affect the individual. So it's like that if you need some guidance, they'll have somebody who'll help you. 0161 872 9999 or just look on the website, howardssolicitors.com. We'll be back to do the next podcast. Nader Manua has promised me that he'll be our guest for that one, uh, which will be on, we'll record it on the Sunday evening after the Brighton game. So um, make sure you share, retweet, and all the rest of it, uh, this podcast. And thanks very much for subscribing. Uh, thanks to those sponsors, of course, it's free to you to, to download as well. But the biggest thank you is to Michelle, to Nicholas and to Adam for being my guest today. We'll do it all again next week. And uh, I, as I always say, if you only remember one thing from this podcast, it's not the wisdom of Nicholas. It's not the, the passion of Michelle. It's not the analytical um, nous of Adam or my waffling. It's just remember this one thing. Even when City lose, it's always great to be a blue. <laughs>